0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging.
1: Make your vermouth out of excellent wine, and you know you're starting from from a really good spot. You know this delicacy and power, and it's yeah, loads and loads of levels. It's uh, yeah, incredible vermouth.
0: This is over a glass. I'm Shante Whale. Dave Verhill is an acclaimed chef that has broadened his reach into the world of artisan vermouths. Saison aperitifs are more than seasonal aromatised wines. They are bright, lively drinks designed to be drunk, accompanying a meal, or paired alongside the ebbs and flows of life. Hi, Dave. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Shantae. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you on. Welcome back to the network. The last time you were here, you spoke to Huck about kind of how Saison got started, and it was right in that challenging time of, of post-pandemic. We're close to a year on. How are you traveling?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that seems like so long ago now. It's, uh, yeah, thankfully, we're, we're miles away from uh, the depths of, uh, of, a, of a Metro Melbourne lockdown. So, yeah, things are great. Thank you. Good.
0: It is nice to be out doing things and, and, and for everything to be kind of, you know, the cogs to be turning again. I want to talk about Saison aperitifs because they've been instrumental, I think, in um, the conversation around vermouth in Australia and they're just bloody delicious, delicious drinks. Tell me a little bit about what vermouth is um, and kind of your approach to starting out
1: your own brand. Firstly, uh, thank you. That's that's really kind, and it's nice to kind of be included in, in that conversation with uh, so many uh, incredible other Australian producers. Um, yeah, I mean, vermouth essentially, as you, as you said, is is aromat- arom- aromatized wine. So, you know, a wine that's been fortified and made better uh, with one specific herb uh, called wormwood. So. Everywhere in the world, uh, to be a vermouth, you have to have wormwood apart from in the US where it just needs to look and feel like uh, vermouth. <laughs> Interestingly. Um, for me, uh, this kind of journey started uh, years ago. You know, I'm a chef by trade. Um, and you know, chefs love love a drink after after service uh, to, to make everything better. Um, you know, you, you start with beer, you know, as your palate evolves, you move on to wine, and then your palate evolves further. And um, I'm I'm really drawn to to bitter flavours. I love you know you know radicchio's and and all of that um, kind of side of the food world. So, uh, bitter drinks for me were, were, was a no brainer. So, uh, we originally started maybe f- six years ago uh, making some you know, vermouth and, and pretty pretty bad ones, to be fair, uh, in, in the restaurant and and, and serving them with, uh, you know, uh, desserts. Um, as, they, as they got better, we'd make things like, you know, a, a vermouth out of all parts of the cherry. So the, the fruit, the stone, the leaves, the wood and all of that. And then we'd kind of finish it off and then bottle it and then, you know, age it or forget about it for a whole year and then s- – and then serve it with a cherry dish the, the following year. So it kind of started f- uh, from there with me. Um, I'd always had a, an idea in the back of my head that I'd really love to kind of bring it to market um, and just uh, see how it went. And you know, I've I've got a, a fairly kind of odd uh, outlook on on flavour. I think um, it's not not super normal, uh, and I wasn't quite sure how how it work- would work. But uh, you know, lockdown obviously kind of gave me the time and the space and this the mental capacity, I guess, to to be able to kind of work through what it was going to take to, to actually get it into a bottle and onto a shelf.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it I imagine that it's such a journey from the moment you go, oh, I think I might like to dabble in that to uh, bottling something and getting it out there to market. But tell me, you said, you know, you had an odd outlook on flavour. I, I, I want to know a little bit about you. You liked bitter drinks. Were you in the kind of finet branca kind of bitter drinks? Were you more on like, where, how bitter are we, are we talking? And was there a first kind of a move that you tried where you went, wow, this is an amazing drink?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I wasn't so much into the fennets, uh back then, but I very much am so now. Um, I think my gateway kind of bitter drink of choice was cocky Americano Bianca. Which is just in my mind, is still one of my favorite drinks. It's just you know it's sunny, warm, and complex, and just yeah it's it's it has so many kind of levels to it I, I find it fascinating,
0: yeah, yeah, that's so interesting because I wondered often about because a lot of chefs really do like bitter drinks. And I always used to think, where did that come about? I mean, is that from like, you know, going through your parents' pantry and kind of coming across some kind of random vermouth that's been sitting in there for a long time? Because that that's not normally a good experience. But, um, yeah, cocking is an interesting one and, and a delicious drink. So that's a, a great first drink.
1: Yeah, I think I think the the chef's love of bitter drinks comes from Fernabranca shots. So, you know, you spend all night tasting uh you know salty or salted and and savory food uh your palate just needs a refresher so it needs something sweet and it needs something just really opposite to what you've been you know you've been testing all night you just get a little bit of palate fatigue and once you kind of have something like that it just kind of cleans you out and that's what they're originally intended to do in that category as well
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that gives me a little bit more kind of scope of of what, how you do reset your palate. So that makes a lot of sense. I thought kind of refreshing beer, but this is kind of the shock to the system that you need. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With vermouths, you know, we see such a large range. You know, from ancient Greece where they kind of started, all the way into the kind of 1850s where they gathered momentum in in the industry and they and they started becoming a, a kind of drink mixer. When I think of vermouths and and tradition, I think either the French kind of um, you know kind of dry styles, or I think of the Italian more kind of spice um, and and bitter kind of styles. When you launched saison.
1: Where did you want to fall within those categories? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So in, in my mind, there wasn't a lot of seasonality within alcohol. Obviously, yes, there is with wine, but not so much on the spirit side. So, you know, coming from my background, that's how my, my mind worked. And the idea that always was originally was that, you know, you're drinking something that's, you know, match palette weight to the season that you're in so it's light and flowery and bright in summertime and deeper and richer and more kind of you know bolder in the winter time and that's that's just the way that my mind works so that was that was the plan from the outset um you know i, I love sweet vermouth so i make sweet vermouth um you know, dry vermouth and a martini is an excellent thing, but it's not particularly what I want to make. I'll leave it to, to other people to do that. Um, you know, sweet vermouth-wise, a lot of the Euro ones, while there's so much beauty in, in all of that, I wanted to do something very different. And the way that a lot of the Euro vermouth, and especially kind of the Spanish and Italian varieties, You know there's a lot of caramel there's a lot of kind of warm spices and when you combine them with quite a lot of age it creates and it sounds funny but it creates a kind of almost like a a brown kind of downward palette whereas i wanted mine to be kind of brighter and 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 more kind of upwards so we don't use any spice we don't really use any caramel um and we just try and craft things out of actual fresh ingredients first, so, uh, dried second, and, and you know, some of the roots and, spi- you know, forms of spice after that. So, it's just a, kind of a different way of doing it. I, w- I wanted them to be brighter and fresher.
0: Well, they definitely achieved that. And I think what, for me, the first experience of drinking your Saisons was that I kind of thought, is this vermouth or is this just what is this? Because it, it didn't really fit what I imagined of some of these vermouths. And the more I drank them, the more I thought, whatever it is, it's a really good drink. And I actually came across them in a in, in blind tasting, in some judging. So, I was just like, whatever this is right here in front of me is something I want to put in my mouth again. It's just so delicious.
1: Oh, that's great to hear. Now, it's a funny thing. I mean, vermouth is a category you know, so many people know it, but so many people's association with drinking a vermouth is, like you said earlier, it's it's that dusty old bottle of Cinzano sitting in the back of your parents' cupboard, and you know it is still essentially at its base level of wine product. So you know you leave it on a in a cupboard for six months, and it's going to go flat or, or or slightly oxidize and just not be a great experience. So I think if you can if you can get the balance right between you know paying homage to the wine that's actually made out of what it's flavoured with, you know, bitterness and sweetness, it can be a really refreshing to drink on its own. And, you know, it's not something as a category that has been drunk solo for, for very long. So I think that's, that's still quite a new way of kind of approaching the category.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I and I wish if any anyone takes anything away from this, other than that they should drink your drinks, is that please stop leaving those vermouths, you know, in the cupboard. They belong in the fridge and they they really need to be bought. Just like you go and buy fresh limes before you go get margaritas, you buy your vermouths fresh and you drink them fresh. Um, I can't stress that enough. But I want to talk a little bit about um, when you released Fallen Quinces. We think about vermouth base wine, then we're looking at your flavoring. So whether it be Artemisia or or say Wormwood and then, you know, your spices or your fruits and then your kind of your spirit, which is fortifying your wine. How did you build the flavor profile of Fallen Quinces? Oh,
1: I think in my mind, all the flavors, they work together. So uh, like Quince, Quince blood orange, saffron, bay leaf, you know, things like that. They're all all very kind of very friendly. Um, For me, I think flavour is where my kind of skill set and my work experience kind of lies. Um, Building the quince was just trying to figure out ways of just putting layers and layers and layers of you know harmonious uh, flavors together so you know the freshness and like aromatics that a raw quince has that basically completely change when you cook it and then the beauty of a quince that's been cooked for a very long time and then you know adding some quinces that have been cooked for a very long time and then burnt through uh, like a red gum fired wood oven that we have at the restaurant, just to kind of add in just different layers of bitterness. So you just try and create something that has, you know, depth, but what has brightness, but it has depth and length.
0: I think it's quite amazing because I've said for a long time that even when it comes to wine, that chefs, they don't realize the ability they have when it comes to detecting, um, aromas and also in just describing flavors. it's such a strength and it's something that you like you said, it comes incredibly natural to you. but for somebody else going in saying create, create a spirit, that would be really um, intimidating. So you're really playing to your strengths there and looking for things that make sense. And when you read through the ingredients of fallen quinces in my mind, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's genius. That's incredible. Rather than saying "Yep, yeah, let's just add a caramel," you're going "Yep, yeah, let's use kind of caramelized quince sugar and then put it back over the, the burnt quinces." It's, um, it's it makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's re- it's really interesting. And and you know, further kind of I go along this process, you, you get better at getting true flavors from from all of the ingredients because all of the ingredients that we use are all natural. So you know, nature ver- is variable. So it's not like this is dried, it's going to be the same every time or this comes from a flavour company house and it's going to be exactly the same every time. You just, you have to figure out ways to get the most flavour out of that year's produce and then and then balance it as well. Tell me
0: a little bit about Fallen um, Flowers because, you know, is, is choosing a base wine important in terms of starting out that something like Fallen Flavours, you use Moscato for that, I believe?
1: I use Moscato for, for all of them as a base. Uh, it's a Muscat uh, Rouge uh, yep. grape. Um, solely, that really comes from the, the cocky Americano Rosa and Bianco. So th- those two uh, bitter wines, uh, they're made with um, Moscato d'Asti base. So for me... You know, it's, it's you know, Muscati gets a bad rap in Australia for a few reasons. But, you know, it's a, at the base level of it, it's a, it's a wine that speaks of the sunshine, like it's warm and it's quite mm. friendly. So when you start with something that has a really low ABV and a high residual sugar like that, it means you can put a lot of flavor into it via your spirit infusions and tinctures but also you don't have to sweeten it too much so that's that's where that came from
0: yeah like one of i think if not the most traditional variety to use so yeah completely completely love your choice on that uh your botanicals that you you're either grown for you or um they're sourced um from local organic producers who are you working with in conjunction with uh your products
1: we've used uh you know, a number of farms around Victoria for for the restaurant for, God, I've been in Melbourne for 10 years, so, so that whole time. So uh, we source from them. We also have through the restaurant like a network of kind of individual small producers. Like I have a guy that picks elderflower for me every year and, you know, this guy does uh, unripe walnuts and walnut leaves and, you know, just a whole bunch of them. I pick some things myself as well, so... We t- we try to work with good people, and and directly with farmers, so that everything that we spend goes directly from the f- uh, from us to the, to the farm, and that that speaks for the, to the restaurant as well. We've always tried to kind of develop those direct connections with with the people who are actually producing your food. So I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, I mean you're in a position where you have really great contacts, but you're also um, super conscious of of taking care of the people that you're utilising, the farmers and, and growers, which is so wonderful and, and, you know, we all should be more considerate of, of who we're working with. Uh, I'm interested to know what have you learnt a bit about the drink business that you didn't know maybe beforehand
1: as a chef? God, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> so many things. I think the main thing would be it's so much more fun doing an away event as a drinks person rather than a chef. <laughs> As a, as a chef, you, you walk into someone's kitchen, you don't know where anything is and you spend a couple of days just absolutely in the weeds uh, to, to, to you know, to, to do an event. Whereas now I can I can turn up, I can make sure things are cold, uh, I put some, you know, pour nozzles on and we're off. So, yeah, <laughs> that, that would be the best thing.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know... It kind of scares me how well you do your job because it makes me think like, gosh, do we need bartenders? Do we need uh, sommeliers anymore? If chefs have got this, you know, innate ability to, with flavors, maybe they're just going to, you know, start taking over, and we, we won't need the everybody else in the business. But, um, you know, what else? Have, what else do you tend to to have learned over the time in terms of kind of going out into market and 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 trying to launch a product?
1: Yeah. Um- I've, I've learned almost every lesson I think that you could learn the hardest way possible. Uh, and, and <laughs> I think that's been really formative. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting moving from service based industry into a, into creating a product. Um, and it's been a huge learning curve, uh, lots and lots of lessons. Um, I think one I read, I, I figured out recently is, you know, we're talking about the quints. Um, I have a guy lucky enough to have uh, some excellent people in in Singapore that that sell uh, my stuff over there, and um, the quince was always, you know, it's it sells, but it, it's a little hard to move. But then it actually came out recently that you know a lot of people in Singapore don't really know what a quince is.
0: <laughs> I thought you might say that,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I just didn't even fathom what, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Totally. And 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 then what what is it supposed to taste like, you know? Okay, we've heard of now we've googled what this weird-looking yellow creature is and and but what is it meant to taste like and is it is it, you know, a good representation of that? It's it's amazing um you know, even in the world of wine when you come to tasting notes and you you look at People from all over the world, and and their frame of reference always comes down to what they eat and drink, and um, yeah, some of them, you some of the de- the details, you think I have no idea what what they're talking about or what that tastes like, and and it makes you want
1: to want to travel and eat and drink more, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think we're pretty lucky in Australia; we've got a pretty kind of wide view of you know food and, and wine and a pretty open minded kind of take on it. So I think we're pretty blessed to to be operating and living in Australia that way. Yeah, I, I totally,
0: totally agree. How do you kind of foresee your drinks consumed? Do you have an idea of, yes, I want them poured in a wine glass, I want them, you know, experimented with? Do you have ideas for how you want people to use them?
1: No, I just want to, people to drink them and have a good time, basically. <laughs> um, you know, most of the the vermouths, the three, the flowers, the rhubarb and the, and the quince that – you know, they're intentionally made to be drunk, kind of solo and ice, with you know a little bit of soda or a little bit of tonic or something like that. Um, I think the beauty of of the that style of those vermouths is that they they do love being kind of drunk by themselves. Um, we've just uh, recently uh, put out uh, a kind of a house vermouth, so. That's uh, our take on a like an Italian sweet red style vermouth. So it's meant to be mixed. Um, so it's Moscato and Shiraz, wine bases, um, uh, vanilla, hazelnuts that have been roasted for a really long time, so they almost kind of turn into like a nutty coffee. Uh, and then fig leaves that have been smoked um, and a couple of other things like that. And that that's... Uh, Intended to be, you you know, wherever you'd use a sweet red style vermouth, so Negronis, Americanos, Manhattans, all those wonderful things. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, my skill set isn't isn't mixing, but people do do, definitely do mix them, which is, is pretty fun as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's nice to know, you know, if you are open to however people, you'll be nicely surprised when you go in somewhere and and someone's done something wacky and weird and turned it into a vapour of some kind and you're like, sure, you know, why not? But um, the terms of the the rouge style you're talking about, will that stay as a kind of consistent vermouth that you release? Because one of the best things about your drinks is how in demand they are, but it's also one of the worst because it's pretty damn hard to get your hands on a bottle
1: yeah it's interesting it's uh, uh, yeah it's something I kind of battle with because people do get kind of annoyed that it's not available the whole year round because some people don't want to have to change their lists or change things so so often, but um the yeah the red house Vermouth is will be available year round, but everything else is going to stay seasonal. <laughs>
0: I think it's a good business move. I mean, it's great to have something, like you said, for mixing that you can kind of build a cocktail and if it does well, you can keep it. But at the same time, things might change. And, and, you know, the the produce that you had one year may not be available next and you're going to have to change that recipe. And therefore, you know, like you said, you're true to seasonality. And and I think it's great that you're sticking by that.
1: Yeah, I mean only have so much room and and so much capability. And once you kind of start moving out of that seasonality, you either make a hell of a lot in one go, which turns into something else entirely, or, you know, you start using things that aren't actually true to the season or in season. So, yeah, there's compromises, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And now in terms of where Saison is going, is it taking up a lot more time than – and pulling you away from from you know your stove, or is it a kind of going in the projection that you hoped for?
1: No, no, it's going really well. Like I still managed to kind of split my time between between Embler and and here. So the the original idea was with the seasonality, with that there were peaks and troughs of workload, kind of similar to you know, almost like a winemaking year. You know, there are times when there's a yeah. lot to do, and there's, there's a time. When there's not a lot to do, so it still very much works like that. And you know, I, I love being in the kitchen, the kind of the camaraderie there, and just we have such an excellent team. And the restaurant's really fun, so I still really enjoy the creativity on that side of it as well.
0: That's great. That's great to hear. Um, what other vermouths do you look for for inspiration? Are there other Australian vermouths that you you kind of look to enjoy drinking, or in terms of the you know, international vermouths?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some incredible Australian producers, like the guys at Maiden and I and the guys at Regal Rogue. They've really kind of paved the way for anyone to be able to sell vermouth in Australia in the way that they do these days, I think. Um, both just incredible drinking vermouths and incredible producers. So that's Australia. Uh, overseas, uh, I really love the vermouth and pretty much anything that the guys at vegano do in Hmm. so yeah yeah
0: they've got some um they've got incredible kind of um access to oh god everything you know from great mass to to everything there and um again another producer that's kind of hard to get your hands on
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's kind of case in point of you know Make your make your vermouth out of excellent wine, and you know you're starting from from a really good spot. But you know, in my in my mind, in my opinion, um, he kind of does spice the best. You know, this delicacy and power, and it's yeah, loads and loads of levels. It's a yeah, incredible vermouth.
0: You know, vermouth has such an ability to to pair well with food, as you know. Um, but I think we're still a little behind where we could be in terms of serving them alongside meals because, like you said, they have um, the weight so that, you know, you're not looking at something that's super, super alcoholic at 40%. Um, it, they just have such ability to, to showcase food right from the start of a meal all the way to the end, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I just there, – there's so much versatility. I think if you if you have a product that is balanced, you know, it's not overly sweet – you know, and it's balanced with flavor and bitterness. There's so many things that you can do with it, especially if you start kind of mixing it down with, you know, tonics and sodas and, and all the flavor, you know, things that roads that you could go down like that. So, yeah, there's loads of options.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see, you know, a, a few more um, maybe dinners as well just done just to show the the capabilities of, of different vermouths and, and, and dishes. Maybe that's something we might see at Embla one day. Who knows? <laughs> Uh Dave, I'd love to know if you only could drink three drinks for the rest of your life, what would you be having and why?
1: Oh, um, first one would be an ice-cold Peroni red tin on a hot day because it's super refreshing. <laughs> um, second would be a Negroni. Um, I've drunk a lot of them the last six months testing this house for moose. So, uh, Melbourne Gin Campari, uh, like sweet red vermouth with a little bit of punta mez, happy days um and uh lastly it'd be the vegano luli which is uh white canato which is just super complex and amazing
0: i have never had one of those but i've actually heard that from a couple of people and um again that's where that bitter kind of element comes in from you and uh i'm gonna have to get
1: my hands on some Yeah, it's a a wild drink. It's just, you know, it's all kind of white base wine, kind of unroasted, um, canado, you know, citrus, cardamom, ginger, all these kind of wild things, it's excellent.
0: Ooh, it sounds delicious. Dave, it's been thoroughly entertaining and enlightening talking to you. I love the way that you speak um, about ingredients and most importantly, I really, really love your drinks. They are delicious. Thank you so much for joining me uh, and the network once again and uh, best of luck for for the upcoming year.
1: Thanks so much, Shante. Have a good day.
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale.